What's up, martial artists? Welcome to Black Belt, a martial arts lifestyle podcast. I'm your host, Harinder Singh, and we're going to bridge the gap between sport, tradition, and reality. Join me as I sit down with world-class practitioners to discuss their lifestyles, to teach you about their mindset, training, and fighting methods so that we can grow from their wisdom. My guest this episode is Jerry Chisholm, who is known as the Lady Sensei. She's the founding president of the Women's Martial Arts Network, a third don in ninjutsu under Professor Ronald Duncan, who is considered to be the father of American ninjutsu. She's also a fifth don instructor in Viarnese Jitsu and is an NRA certified range safety officer. She has spent more than eight years as a behavioral health and psychiatric emergency response team member. She's highly skilled in crisis prevention and management and has de-escalated thousands of clinical interventions. She currently travels the world teaching women self-defense and 21st century combatives, which include both empty hands and improvised weapons. This episode is all about making the weak strong. We live in a world where stronger people, both psychologically and physically, can tend to trample on and take advantage of smaller or weaker people. My key takeaway is that fear and the lack of self-knowledge is what holds people back from reclaiming their power and discovering their true potential. Martial arts training provides us with the skills and tools that help us deal with adversity, face our fears, and heal from our traumas. With the proper tools and guidance, we realize that courage is a choice in the face of fear and that peace is a choice amidst the chaos. We also dive deep into training methods and specifically discuss how women must be approached differently than men. Lady Sensei drops some major insight into the differences and shares how to effectively communicate and tailor programs for women. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and was inspired by Lady Sensei's personal story of how she has dealt with bullying, trauma, and a man who stalked her for over four years. She's a true example of the life transformative power of martial arts, and her ministry is one of making the weak strong. Tune in for a powerful experience. Hey everybody, how you doing? I'm Harinder Singh. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Belt Podcast. I'm so honored to have my guest here with me, Sister Jerry Chisholm, who's known as the Lady Sensei. Welcome to the Black Belt Podcast. Thank you so much, Brother Sifu. I appreciate it. You know, I, I really enjoyed meeting you at the Vegas Super Show uh, in 2020, 2022 now, and I had a real great energy. Robert Young uh, introduced us, and I looked into your story, and I was like, man, this is really fascinating, and it's something that's quite awe-inspiring, and I want to really just get in, talk about you, talk about martial arts, talk about how it's transformed your life and set you on a mission, you know, because we were talking about this earlier, and for the people who listen to this podcast know that our main thing is what? That martial arts is the greatest vehicle for discovering our human potential and figuring it's out who really we are is. and why we're here. You know what I mean? Yes, I agree. I certainly agree. Yes. So, you know, you, you, had, um, you had mentioned in, in one of your articles and one of your interviews, you said the mind is the primary weapon. Yes. Everything else is just a means to an end. Yes. Tell me about that. So, you know, I think in life we have like a lot of loose information running around inside of our spirit. And um, to me, like life on the inside of our minds is a lot like maybe like an Amazon warehouse. Mm -hmm. And we've got all of this stuff stacked up in there, but we don't have 
a label, you know, for that information. And when I started training with Professor Duncan, and he taught me that my mind was my primary weapon. I thought weapons were, you know, whatever I had in my hand was my primary weapon. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so in traditional African culture, we say in order for someone to change your behavior, they first have to change your mind. Yes, ma'am. Understand? Yes. And so in, in some traditional cultures, keeping your head covered is also a symbolic reminder of, you know, getting the right information and not letting the wrong information influence your behavior and your spirituality and, and, and you know, uh, your goals and things that you uh, live through in life. And so he said, your mind is your primary weapon. And I, was, I was waiting for something stupendous. <laughs> And then he said, one mind, any weapon. I was like, he's not giving me the information I'm looking for. And I learned that my mind is the center of my universe and the way I'm going to perceive things, whether I'm going to perceive uh, danger, whether I'm going to perceive happiness. My mind, you know, really is is the center of my universe. And Uh so... um, no, please go ahead. Please go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, with with his training, you know the physical the physical is an easy training, but it's the mind that I discovered uh, that we have to train for warriors mentality. You understand? Because when when the body fails, the mind takes over. When the mind fails and spirit takes over, you see? And so I have to be like really um, mindful about that mind being my primary weapon, you know, because Professor Duncan said that there are many theaters of war. We think, we tend to think of um, war as a physical engagement. And he said that people will bring wars to you. They will bring psychological war to you. They will bring political war to you. They will bring economic war to you. You understand like war has many different theaters, you see. And so you have to have a a warrior's mentality, you know, to, to move through these things through the beginning, the middle and the end, and know that something else is going to start at the beginning and you'll move through to the middle and to the end. And that warrior's mentality will help you understand that everything has a beginning, a middle and an end. So there's no need to despair. Even a technique has a beginning, a middle and an end, you see. And so that that mind um, training, because we go beyond what we think we can do, right? We, we go beyond what we've, uh, uh, been exposed to because sometimes in life we we never know uh, where we meet our tolerance level and then you got to push through so the mind is everything that you know I, I think the physicality is is just what's really happening while your mind is developing to tell you the truth I, I love that I love that you know you, the mind is the center and you know I, I thoroughly believe that too 
And one of the things is once we find our center, we know who we're, you know, as we're talking about war and warfare and General Sun Tzu in the art of war, know yourself and know your enemy and you're sure to succeed. Uh, don't know yourself, don't know your enemy, you're doomed to fail. Know yourself, don't know the enemy 50-50. But I think the part that, that, um, that yourself starts with knowing your center and knowing when you're off your center, because then the further you deviate from your center, the more energy, the more time it's going to take for you now to respond, to create, connect, or adapt to your opponent of the situation or the circumstance. Mm. So how would you suggest for the listeners listening that they start to learn to develop their relationship with their center? So in, 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 in our Shinobi studies, we believe that there is no greater study, no higher study than the study of self. You understand? Because life is neutral until you walk into a situation and put your two cents in. Right. Like, this whole thing is neutral. Yes. And so um, I think, I think we have to learn where rubber meets the road in life, uh, where we have just like healthy self-esteem and then we actually have the wherewithal, you understand, to, to, um, to move through life through its stages because um, sometimes we need others to validate us, which is not a good position to be in when you need others to validate you. And, and I think uh, being honest with yourself is really important because no one else is going to know you're doing it, number one. So just be honest with yourself. And I think when um, I think when we don't take inventory, uh, when we don't continue our assessments, it's important. My mindset might be one thing an hour from now, four hours from now, I have to be in reassessment because guess what? Something may be uh, gnawing at my spirit. News may come in, the telephone may ring. I may get an email, something, anything. And so life is about assessing and reassessing where you are and doing that honestly. And so the martial arts are uh, one of those vehicles that you won't fake it until you make it. Right. 100%. <laughs> Definitely won't. 100%. You know, I, I love how you said that, you know, when we talk about really truly understanding ourselves and knowing ourselves the the awareness of self and where we are in time and space and how we're feeling i think something you brought up there's really important that that need for approval oftentimes you know and i'd love to talk to you about fear but there's the two sides of fear but the biggest fear most people have is the fear of losing the fear of what other people think and that constant fear of am i good enough and getting that approval from outside and that just steals our spirit steals our energy and it it doesn't allow us to express itself Oh my goodness, it really does. Um, and you would probably, probably not see full sing, but people would probably be surprised by how much life and potential mm. is robbed of individuals because of fear, because of lack of knowledge of self, you see? And, and it's important, I think it's important for children to learn adversity and come through it. Yes, we, 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 we like to 
make things. We, we want to give children the world, but I think uh, children should also have a healthy dose of adversity because when you see people act out, it's because their coping skills or mechanisms have not been well developed. You understand? And then perhaps feelings of entitlement, uh, feelings of, of the world is picking on me, all of those things. And we don't really have children set up to, to, to learn how to come through adversity. And I think a few times you should really make things difficult for your kids. 100%. And then you make, make an, an assessment about how my children are coming through, developing critical thinking skills, how to come through adversity. But if I make everything ideal for you, then the first time you encounter adversity it's going to like short out your little circuits and everything because right you don't have that does not compute that does not compute you understand and um i think where we are today it's it's more important um that children and young people learn but in the martial arts we see also that there are folks who um still carry around their wounded child, if you will. And, uh, and those, those challenges, um, because as teachers, we're also, we're also, uh, we're also, it would, it would be ideal if our students can emulate who we are, even just beyond our skill. Yes. You understand? So I need to mirror for you the benefits, we, we, we would call that role modeling, you see. And, um, and it's important you know, that we reflect um, and deal with we, our, our own shortcomings, right? And we should be polishing as often as we can. And, and the martial arts, I believe, is just like a really great place to do that. Because it's so it's it's um it's powerful because it's the study of self is what I really call it because you can't help me you know where where I I fear where I feel small you understand I have to discover that for myself. I love that. There's so much to unpack in what you just said. I think that um, for the listeners listening, you know, when when we talk about um, one of the things I want to stick with is what you said, the, the wounded childhood is such an important thing to consider. You know, I went, I went through my training with my Sifu and I still continuously do the unraveling and the unpacking of the traumatic events of rejection, mm. betrayal, abandonment, and really bringing them out to put them on the table. It's first, of course, releasing it, the energy from the tissues, then bringing it out processing it and letting it go the surprising thing is how much life force that uh releases you know i i, I went to him like man i just want to be a good fighter i just it's like why are you so angry like well why why you know and he's like, i'm like just show me let's let's i'm, I'm you know the, show me how to get things done let's go but as we go through the process you start to understand that 
for you to have that better martial skill and ability to have the intuitive kinesthetic and empathetic perceptions we require as energy and to have that energy there has to be a healing to let go of all the suppressed energy that's holding on to those emotions and this is such an important part that i rarely get a chance to talk to uh, fellow martial artists and teachers with because we are also teaching people the art of healing and and tell me about that so so for just a moment um hoping when when your spirit is damaged one of the things that has to happen when you are healing is you have to learn how to cope right and and people don't always have coping mechanisms and know how to apply them or even recognize the triggers. You understand that are gonna kick up certain old haunts in our spirits, you see. And so it's important that as you're being honest with yourself, you need to be able to say, I'm concerned, I'm afraid. I don't know, I need help. Can you help me? You understand? And um, with the martial arts being uh, a masculine construct, yes. I, think, I think it's very difficult um, to go beyond the testosterone sometimes, uh, the technique, because we don't even talk about the fact that men come to the martial arts because they're afraid too. 100%. Right? We talk about the women coming up because, yeah, she had a domestic violence. And guess what? And guys are scared too. 100%. When they come, we never have that conversation. Yes. We never have that conversation. Um, and and I, 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 I veered off so far. Please tell me again what it was you needed me to say. No, but we, I'm, I'm also getting with you. So um, I, th I think what the key here is that um, in martial arts, the study, like you were saying earlier, the, the whole process of, process of um, the energetic psychology of processing your emotions and your stories and really being honest, because that, that's the honest truth. It's like when we're talking about guys, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you're, you're either angry, you're either afraid. But why? Because something happened and you're angry because you don't want it to happen again or or you're afraid of something that's going to happen in the future or right. you have doubt or you have um, insecurity or like we were talking earlier, you need approval. I want all the guys to think I'm tough. Right. Um, and, and those are like the, the entry level reasons why people get into martial arts. But it, I think it becomes really sad that many, many years later, that's still the driving factor that's that's pushing them forward. Yeah, it's um, it's a very interesting observation <laughs> uh, from where I sit as uh, from a lot of different hats that I wear in life as I watch the martial arts and watch the the um, the landscape, the martial arts landscape. And there are some wonderful people. Uh, that set really good tones. They set really good examples. Uh, 
and 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 they and they lend their light to others. And then you have the light stealers, right? <laughs> there, you know, some people come to the river of enlightenment with just a thimble. Some people come with a bucket. <laughs> some people back up a truck. I'm gonna take it all, right? And and for those um people who are able to use martial arts as a light, they don't really need an introduction. They really don't. Um, you know them by their works, not by their techniques. You know, a lot of people really are stuck at the technique level yes. of martial arts and haven't evolved beyond the physical, if you will. And, and perhaps uh, no matter what we see, they're better people then without the martial arts, who knows? You know, that might be like a, a better version. Yeah. So we don't all learn in the same time at the same pace. We don't all uh, evolve and move through change at the same time. We don't all embrace adversity the same. You see, some people understand that adversity is... Um, you know, builds character, you see, in, in leadership and all of these other qualities, you know, but it's really um, interesting to, to watch the martial arts. And for me, it has been grace saving. It's been life saving. It's been life changing. And, and probably the best part is that I've been able to help others. You know, I feel like I have earthly good, uh, having been introduced to the martial arts and trained. And so for me, really, it's a ministry at this point. The martial arts okay. are a ministry. I love that, you know, you, you come into it from fear or doubt or anger, and then you transform and now you're serving. And that is, I think, like, that's the thing that keeps me going. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, many years I trained from anger, from fear, because it's like, hey, it's, it's true. Yes. And it's true. Like, hey, I'm going to go hit the heavy bag today. I'm going to go train right now before I go teach this seminar, because I don't know who's going to show up in the seminar. And you want to know something? I'm going to be ready for this person. And that, that energy is you just continuously inviting it. And you keep inviting it because of your fears and your insecurities until you start to realize who hurts you. It's like, who you look in the mirror and say, who hurt you? And when are you going to allow yourself to stop hurting yourself, um, keeping that thing going, to let it go? And now you can be driven by light or you could be driven by fear. You could be driven by anger. Or you could be driven by love. You could be driven by doubt or you could be driven by faith. And that's the transformation, right? Because it's such a beautiful thing for us that mastery there's no state of becoming a master but mastery is a continuous change and transformation of the being and um i'd love to take this moment for you to share your story about your transformation what martial arts did for you if, if you don't mind so um i come to the martial arts as utility mm. Uh, utility and what I've 
come to understand is the training that I do is in, in preparation for violent conflict. That's what I do. That's what I trained for. And as a kid, um, I had uh, bullies as a small kid, maybe 11, 12 years old. And, uh, and I ran as much as I could. And my old brother took me to a judo class. And, um, and I was small, I was a tiny, I was a little tiny thing. I think at 12 years old, I was only like 67 pounds. I was really tiny, but I was a tomboy. And so, uh, you know, my family was really tired of the bullying and me running home from school. And, and it made me a nervous child, you see. And so my brother took me with him to judo class. And this is probably now like uh, 74, something to that effect under um, Sensei John Sabata. And, and I trained in judo. And because I was a tomboy, um, when I went to my first tournament, they thought I was a little boy. And and so they gave me all these little boys to fight. And I did a pretty good job of, of um, beating up my, my challengers. Maybe the fourth kid, he choked me out. And they were like, it's a girl. It's like, yeah. And so uh, I was promoted just because of my heart that I didn't say we are the girls or anything like that. And then... I dealt with those issues, um, those kids that were pummeling on me and, and, and pummeling right back. And they stopped bothering me, which was really good. It's like, oh, this stuff really works. It was just like uh, pixie dust. <laughs> and, and I was able to take care of myself. I had principles, but I, I didn't have any physical skills. I didn't have any size. I didn't have any power, but I was small. I was fast and I had a lot of um, kinetic genius, if you will. And, uh, and then it would be maybe another 25 years and, and I would come across a relationship where a guy put his hands on me and, and he, he, um, he, he stalked me for four calendar years. And, and of course, there's no life in, in that kind of uh, spiritual, emotional, psychological terrorism. And so I went to uh, study firearm safety because I'm older now. You know, we're not going to do this hand-to-hand thing. And while I was training uh, in firearms, I realized, I said, this guy is still strong enough to take my gun from me and, and kill me with my own gun. And then I said, you know, I have to learn how to use my hands. And uh, the same guy, his name is uh, Dan Starks in, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I went to Dan Starks' uh, firearm safety. And then subsequently he began... Having self defense classes, he had the Kubaton, and what was the other? But at any rate, 
it lit a fire in me. And um, and so the, the, the simultaneous situation with um, the, the act of domestic violence situation. Um, and I went to Professor Duncan. I, I started kickboxing, a, a kickboxing class. And Professor Duncan came and did a uh, self-defense class for women. And all I can tell you is my spirit went, oh, and and the rest, as they say, is history. But I had to learn how to um, get my fears under control. I, I literally, when I first started training with Professor Duncan, I used to tremble. And he was like, do you feel safe? I was like, uh, yes, sir. He's like, why are you shaking like that? Because he, he's giving me weapons and he's, you know, take the knife and I want you to use it in an infinity loop fashion. And I, I remember thinking, this, this is really morbid to practice cutting someone like this. And, and, it, and it would make me tremble. The whole idea of maiming and literally killing someone, it was frightening to me. So Professor Duncan had a lot of work to do with my spirit uh, and, and to, I, he, I said, um, he said, why are you, you know, trembling? And I was like, because, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, having to cut someone and, you know, kill someone this way. And he said, do you know what's worse than learning how to do that? It's like, no, sir, I can't imagine anything worse than cutting someone open. He said, what's worse is being cut open and not knowing how to defend yourself. And that, I remember that being the first light bulb that went off. So I could spend time being afraid to do it and not being prepared if someone wanted to do that to me and, and or that I could learn how to um, learn that my ideals are being challenged here. You know, what things should be in life. And, and then he had to just show me, you know, that life is as it does, you understand? And so, um, and we took it from there. So uh, Professor Duncan, uh, observe my natural tendencies and natural abilities. And, and I've had played sports all my life. I was athletic all my life. I could run, I could jump, I had great kinetics. And, and I also grew up with great eye and hand coordination. I, I used to build things as a kid and throw things and my aim was always really good. And so he began to put weapons in my hand. Um, he would always, to, to help me calm down, he would show me that this is safe, uh, that this is, uh, you know, not a real weapon or, you know, that this is on safety. And so safety was always um, 
our primary position, you know, when we started to train. So I remember, I remember stages moving through my training in stages, um, through strategies and tactics. People um, like to talk about um, Shinobi arts um, in terms of the mystical. And for me, my benefit has been strategies and tactics. Because I said, I said, oh, sensei, I said, he knows everything about me. He says, yes, but you also know everything about him. Okay, okay, right, I know everything about him. Okay, so it was mindset, mindset, mindset. And he... Um, he allowed me to bring myself to my training. Sometimes uh, traditional martial arts will have you follow um, tradition and a we-ism as opposed to what's good for you and me-ism. Mm -hmm. And there's like a delicate balance between those things. I think self-defense is, is an acute meism because what works for you may not work for me. And in the weism of the traditional martial arts, I think it's important to keep everyone on the one. In my case, um, my life was actively under assault with someone who was not allowing me to be healthy, happy, and um, and productive, if you will, and so so Professor Duncan's job was to get me into proficiency as quickly as possible. And going back to what we talked about earlier in terms of the mind and fear, as I look back now, those were the mountains for me. It wasn't the physicality. It wasn't the weapon, the, the mountain for me to climb was psychologically, you understand? And to understand, like you said, what fear is and, and how it impacts mm -hmm. us, how it, it can stop us from growing and learning and searching and discovering and exploring. And, and sometimes, uh, fear robs us of our potential. And so uh, with all of my natural abilities, um, Professor Duncan tapped into those things. I might need this when I leave you today, sir. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't have 10 years for me to develop a kick, 15 years, you know, for this type of precision. I need to understand the science. I need to understand why it works or why something uh, pales in terms of functionality. And, and, and what I really credit him with is allowing me to be me. And uh, he put the weapons in my hand and, and, and he taught me it's sciences and, and I wasn't graded on, um, I wasn't graded on do it the way I do it. Mm -hmm. I was graded on 
whether or not I would have gotten home with that move. Mm. And um, I imagine he got a kick out of me because sometimes he would be smiling and, and I would always wonder why, but he would put something in my hand and he, he almost didn't even try to influence the way I interpreted my weapons. And, and he would put something in my hand and I would say, sir, how should I move? And he'd say, just move around. It's not what I was looking for. Okay. And he would say, Jerry, your footwork. Are you a dancer? It's like, yes, sir, I, I, I am. Very well. It's like there was something strange about my footwork. And, and people who even watch me today, they may curse my footwork. But he understood that my hard wiring, my subconscious wiring, I can transport efficiently and quickly. Could I transport efficiently and more quickly? Maybe, but he's not going to take 20 years from my life yeah. to do that. I'm already wired. I can move. I have speed. I have agility. Just put the thing in her hand and give her the science. And so, so I moved around a lot under supervision, if you will. And, um, and it was just a tremendous experience to, to, to use my mind. Now, I don't even see life the same. I don't see the arts the same. I don't see challenges the same, um, but because he was older at the time, there were certain aspects that uh, he wasn't able to engage me in because uh, Professor Duncan was like in his late 60s when I came along. And so I began to study um, the Arnis Jitsu while I was studying with Professor Duncan. And so it was um, studying under Professor Scott Stewart, who was uh, um, a disciple of Professor B and uh, Grandmaster David James. It was my training in the Jitsu when I began to get really physical. And um, but my training with Professor Duncan, because of the nature that I entered uh, training for safety, um, I hesitate to say that my training was learning how to eliminate a threat. And that is as direct as I can tell you. So once I began training in the Viarnese jiu-jitsu system, I had to learn balance because my, my thinking, my programming was eliminate the threat, mm. walk away. So once I began training with um, Professor Scott, then I learned how to just neutralize the threat. I didn't have to go all in on everyone. And, 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 and that was another shaping process on the mind in, in my training because 
I saw everything as a shutdown. That was all there was to it. And so then I began to um, train uh, in the city of New York in my profession as emergency response team in uh, psychiatry where um, I came across a lot of people in crises. And then I learned uh, verbal de-escalation and nonviolent physical interventions. And so, so now I'm getting a lot of information and a lot of training. And I realized that everything didn't require neutralizing a threat or even actually eliminating a threat. And, uh, and it took me back to one of my first lessons uh, with Professor Duncan that we must appeal to people at the highest level, the spiritual level, which is to reason with another human being. And, uh, and he said, um, with my training um, in, in psychiatry and in the V system, he said, with my profession, he said, I can't even imagine another vocation uh, to polish you off, you know, in all of the things that you have trained and studied in, because boy, is the mind getting training at this point. So uh, I learned a lot of my, um, my, my Filipino uh, styles and applications with uh, Professor Scott and my mat work and uh, my, my ukemi work and, and to, to expand into my space um, in terms of my, my physicality. And, and that has been a great experience. I came into, you know, an all male dojo um, where men didn't wash their uniforms regularly <laughs> and they smelled and, and I kind of vocalized that. And then they were like, who is she, you know? And I was like, you guys need to wash your uniforms. That's what you need to do. This place smells really like an old sock, yeah. a sneaker or something. So, um, so then I learned classroom dynamics uh, with the martial arts because I trained privately with Professor Duncan. There were individuals that I trained with that we met at Professor Duncan's and we trained, um, but it was so, uh, it was so tailored to me that now I have to readjust when I come into a class because now the teacher has to deal with, with everyone's yeah. abilities, so on and so forth. And I remember feeling like, eh, eh, eh. you understand? Cause I'm used to moving quickly through my lessons. And uh, so I had to learn um, dojo etiquette. Uh, I had to, to learn formalities and, uh, and, and socialization skills, you know, when training, if you will. And then um, that's been a great experience to, um, to, to learn. But 
there was a certain rigidness of the the masculine environment and 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 professor scott would say and the lesson is thus and so and the technique is thus and so i'm like ah, i have a question sir oh mm, uh, i have a different perspective i have a different ability and i'm not exactly going to do that no that's not going to work for me and 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 height and weight differentials make me think differently about um, certain techniques. And I have to deal with efficiency. I have to deal with opportunity. And so because I'm studying now on the mat with others, I get a chance now to test my mettle, if you will. And uh, some of it was pretty tough. And some of my uh, dojo brothers were a little tough on me because some of them wanted me to go away. But, but I, I made it through, thanks goodness. And I was like really mature when I started. So I'm thinking when I came back to the martial arts training with Professor Duncan, I was about 44. Okay. Something like that. So, um, so I had a lot of, I had a, a lot of, uh, a lot of mountains to wrap my arms around. You know, because, you know, you're on your way to 50 and you're like, that hurts. <laughs> you know, that, that, that took a little something out of me. It took me four years to overcome uh, 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 doing my keto rolls without getting sick. How about that? Mm. I was almost 50 maybe about 48, I used to take Dramamine okay. for motion sickness. That's how sick I used to get. I would be so sick, I couldn't even sit up on the mat. So it took time. So everything, you know, a little bit older, but guess what, you can still do it. And I did it and I learned all of these um, great processes uh, in, in training in a classroom environment. And I had to calm down because at first I rejected all of that. I'm like, oh, this is taking too long, all of that kind of thing. But it was important to learn socialization within the context yeah. of uh, the martial arts. And, and then the greatest pain I know in the martial arts, uh, Professor Duncan passed away. It was hard and I had to decide whether I wanted to continue and it was hard. And my, my VAJ family really pulled up the rear, you know, to be my family after Professor Duncan passed away. But it just felt so empty. The whole landscape, it was barren as far as you know, I could feel. And uh, 
end. And it took the air out of me. It took the fight out of me. And I felt exposed because for me, he was like the wizard. You know, he, he could articulate the science. He could take something that took him 50 years to learn and he could explain it to me in five minutes. He could teach it to me in a half of an hour, you see. And so I struggled for a few years after Professor Duncan passed away. And I, I came to understand that my moving forward helped to move a really great person forward also because through, through me, he lives. And through me, I can teach others what he taught me. So while he was sick, I asked him, I said, um, oh, sensei, I said, if someone asks me what is, what, what were you the proudest about, you know, in your time? in the martial arts. And, and so I'm, I'm thinking he would say something martial arts related, something to that effect. And he would say what he said, what I'm most proud about is um, being able to teach differently abled people. Mm to take care of themselves and to help build their confidence. And, and I think that day I also asked him, I think I have it on film actually. And I also asked him, I said, um, what is your legacy if someone asks me, what is your legacy? And he said, you can say that my legacy is to make the weak strong, verbatim is what he said, make the weak strong. And so that is my, uh, my ministry is to make the weak strong because we live in a world where uh, stronger people, both psychologically, physically, and other ways trample and take advantage of smaller or weaker or more meek people. And, and so that forms the basis of what I've become in the martial arts to know that there are others who can be made stronger, who can, can have more full lives um, and who can reclaim their power if any station or individual in life has removed their power mm. from them, you see. And so, um, so then uh, after um, training with um, Professor Scott at uh, VAJ, then I began uh, training with one of my Shinobi brothers. I, I trained with some of them um, I would go to classes still trying to um, reconnect with the type of training 
that I did with Professor Duncan, but um, that was that was really hard to do because who teaches like Professor Duncan? Uh, and so I I um, began to train with um, uh, Grandmaster Dan McEady, who is a very early student of Professor Duncan's from the 60s. And so um, because we had the same teacher, I felt really good about training with him. And, um, and I remember Professor Duncan talking about uh, certain students uh, in his life. And I, I remembered the things that he said about uh, Grandmaster McEady. And I believe that Grandmaster McEady was uh, perhaps Professor Duncan's first differently abled student. And um, Grandmaster McEady experienced um, a lot of uh, life-changing events with a polio vaccine in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it um, didn't allow his arm to form uh, properly. Okay. And, and, and I believe his uh, walking and or legs were affected in some way. He was able through the martial arts to reclaim the use of his legs and he went on to become a great fighter despite all of his um, physical um, challenges. And Professor Duncan said that he was just like the perfect uh, prototype for a shinobi because people are so busy trying to um, pity him and feel sorry for him because of, you know, the way his arm was formed, so on and so forth, that you had no idea how dangerous this man uh, could be. And, and I learned the same that as a woman, you know, I'm, I'm, in fact, I like your stereotype because you're so secure in that, you know, it makes it easier for me to catch you with speed and surprise, you know, because I couldn't possibly do any harm, right? So, um, so I've been training with uh, Grandmaster McEady and um, studying some of the more classical uh, components of ninjutsu or what people call ninjutsu. And, um, and that has been uh, satisfying to my soul to reconnect in a way, uh, student to student. So he's my instructor and my Shinobi brother. And uh, so it's, it's, it's been a great, now about 17 years, you know, that I've been training. And, uh, and it's just the greatest thing I could have ever done for my whole life, my health, my well-being, my way of thinking. Um, it's just the greatest thing that I could have done. And, and I know it's, it's divine and it's order because only God can put this much order back into my life with this much fortitude, if you will.
That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing the story. And, you know, I wanted people to get a real idea of uh, how you came to be where you are today and serving the mission that you're on. And one of those things is starting the um, Women's Martial Arts Network. And before I get into that, because I have some very specific questions on that, I'd like to ask you a question about Professor Duncan. And it's very rare that we come across these individuals, these uh, Mr. Miyagi's, the Yodas in our lives that come and they transform us. They're like, you can say almost uh, divine agents that have been put in our life at a certain time to uh, help us get to our mission. And they all seem to have this amazing skill of taking philosophy and embodying it with physiology and installing it in us to create this transformation. What do you think, the two questions, what do you think creates such an instructor? And how can we develop more instructors like that? Some people say that people are born and some people say that people are made. I tend to think that I was this person all along until a person, a place, a circumstance or a scenario catapulted it out of my spirit. And I think teachers like Professor Duncan experienced someone on his lineage who was the same and who recognized him for his individual gifts and abilities And I think it's easy to give people something that you have. I love that. Um, What I've experienced in the martial arts uh, in terms of observation is almost a cookie cutter Mm. mentality. And, And what I love about O Sensei is that he allowed me to be me. And you can't help me grow any faster yes. than bringing it to me as opposed to telling me to come to you. Yes. Um, and, and when you, um, you, I think we all can be like a lump of, of coal, if you will, and, and pressure makes it a diamond. And, and I know my journey with Professor Duncan was guided. And then it was really well-rounded because it wasn't even just about the techniques. It wasn't just about the weapons. I also had to read. I had to study. There was philosophy. We watched the news together. We talked about what's trending in society. We would 
look at the, the armed services and look at what kind of training they were doing. And what I loved about him is that he would, he was adaptable. Mm. If you show Professor Duncan, he wasn't one of those guys that was talking about his magazines, you know, from 1950, this or 60, that or 70, 80, 90s. You show, say, hey, oh, sensei, look at this. Look what they're doing now in the military. Like, what? Like, yeah, yeah. And we would go through those kinds of, um, of dialogues about what's changed, what's new, what we need to discard, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I think he had very flexible thinking. And I think because he received that, it was just very easy. If you ask me for a dollar, I can't give you a dollar if I don't even have 20 cents. So I think people either A, have what they're giving you or what they're giving you, they wish someone had given it to them. One of those two things, somewhere, a little gray area to that effect. I like that. I love that. This episode is brought to you by Martial Arts Dingo, your best source nationwide for Shurido brand premium karate products. That's martialartsdingo.com. Today we're announcing that thanks to you, we're growing and have updated our website. It's a new look with some work yet to be done, but you will find the magnificent Shurido products as well as new ones. Same rolling down the road pricing where the price you see is what you pay. Shipping, taxes, handling, all on us. Check it out now and come back regularly as we add more content and more products. That's martialartsdingo.com. Again, that's martialartsdingo.com. And so with your, your, you know, you founded the Women's Martial Art Network. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that is? Um, we have, you know, um, many women listening to this podcast and how they can find out about it, how they can get involved in it, what it's about? So the Women's Network uh, is a sum total of my experiences of not having a certain amount of camaraderie in the martial arts. Some women are very fortunate to have... Um, classroom instruction and to train with other women, but that wasn't my experience. That wasn't my experience. Um, you know, I'm the baby and the only girl in my family. And so I've come up through life uh, as like James Brown would say, this is a man's world. And so I've come up through a man's world. Um, in terms of, of family, in school, in, in sports, and all of those things. And, and the martial arts, I, I didn't see enough women. I didn't have enough women role models to um, fashion myself after. And... Um, and I met very few 
who were as serious as I was about my training. And so, and so the Women's Network uh, became a community of women who also, like myself, wanted uh, camaraderie, uh, networking um, opportunities, because uh, some of the things that I found in the martial arts is that women don't have the same amount of platforms or number of platforms and opportunities as practitioners. You know, I've you know, I've been out on the seminar network for a few years and, and I really was tired of being the token woman, though I appreciated every opportunity I was given. I felt that it was somehow really unfair that as women, we have sweat equity, blood equity, practice equity, injury equity, you know, everything that our warrior brothers, well, we don't have the same opportunities in the, the martial arts world to train, to represent our systems, you know, as uh, uh, to put on events, to be promoters, you know, to be in leadership positions. And I, you know, that whole, um, I don't know, the whole golden era of the martial arts thing with um, women just kind of like selling raffle tickets and baking cakes for schools. It just, it didn't appeal to me. It just didn't appeal to me. And, and so I began to promote and develop events for women to be showcased and you know, to be uh, uh, seen and to hear their views and all of those types of things. And it just touched women. Um, a woman of my appearance coming onto social media uh, with the appearance of an African center doing the Japanese arts and Filipino arts. And it's like, and what is all of that stuff she's got on there? You know, there, there was no one for me to role model um, as I saw on social media. And, and those things became things that made me kind of unique at the time because there's a certain type of, uh, for women, there's a certain type of who's your daddy and what are you doing out here without your daddy? It's like, excuse me. I, I have trained to sit at this table. You understand? I have uh, invested. I didn't, I didn't get like a cheaper rate, you know, for my training and all of those things. I've invested in my training, you know, like everyone else uh, has. And where are the women's voices and their perspectives? You know, and, and so there are people saying, ah, you know, we teach them all the same. Okay. That tells me you don't want to change. That's what it tells me. It tells me you came up in a different time. And uh, as the vice president of the network, uh, Professor Dominique says, you know, 
I've been a woman a lot longer than you. <laughs> and, and it's very interesting um, that when it comes to self-defense that you would try to apply a cookie cutter to self-defense because there are things that you're going to experience that, that as a woman, that men are just not going to experience by and large. And so there's a certain perspective that I bring to the table that I'm the subject matter expert, you understand? And all of my uh, instructors have been godsends to allow me my voice and to support my work and, and my ministry. And so other women uh, began to see and to hear. And, and I want women to know that the martial arts is a, a universe that you can come into and find your own corner. It doesn't need to be like me. It doesn't need to be what I study. Just get in where you fit in. You understand there's so much benefit Lady Sensei, less than it being a name, is a concept because uh, women, I found, had to be um, approached differently with the martial arts. With men folk, you could approach men folk with the physicality first, but with women, you really have to. Um, to, to approach women from the psychological, right? It's a, it's a different transition than women. You can't come at a woman with the physicality, you know, really hard and fast like that. You have to let women transition and bring their mind into it first and find out if you're having any traumas or do you have any experiences that make you nervous about learning the martial arts, so on and so forth. And so I'm watching a lot of my um, friends and, and community feel that, ah, uh, you know, the martial arts, that's too manly. And I really, I, I, I thought after I got older that the, the same thing, I really thought it was like, oh my God, it's just like too manly. And I remember that picking my feet up off the floor. I thought that was just like the most unwomanly thing you could do. Kick somebody. That is so primitive, you know, to kick someone. And, um, and so Lady Sensei is more of a concept that you can be a lady. Yup, I can look like this. I can sit like this and everything. And then I can drop down. And I can do what I need to do if there ever becomes a time that I need to do something, you know, but don't let that um, stop you, you know, from coming into the martial arts. And so coming up as a kid, like in the 60s, we, we watched um, television and there weren't a lot of images of women who looked like me. Uh, there weren't a lot of images of African-Americans uh, in the martial arts, in cinema, on television like that. 
And so um, we're keenly aware of the role that images play. And I, if I had seen a woman like me as a kid, I probably would have gravitated towards it sooner. Um, but we believe that you don't have to be famous. Your life, just as it is, your ordinary, everyday life is worthy of emulation by someone in this world. We can all teach someone. So we believe that our images, our voices, and our stories can inspire the next generation of women and girls to come into the martial arts and to know that we are champions and we are school owners and we are leaders and we are promoters and we are teachers and we are business uh, people behind the business of the martial arts and that you will find us at every station. And, and, and so to try and get women to see the many facets that we operate at in the uh, martial arts is a mission. And I just want uh, more women and girls to, to come into the martial arts because we are legacy too. We are legacy holders and uh, extenders of our traditions and our teachers and our schools and our systems, you see, and, and that we have a voice. And the martial arts has traveled 100 years on the masculine construct. And, and it is time, it is past time that you need an injection from the women of the martial arts if you want it to last another 100 years. I love that. I love that. And I think that, you know, um, oh, I'm really glad you shared those those facts. And because, you know, I think one of the big things also happens is um, a lot of the men teaching women self-defense classes out there can really learn and benefit from a lot of your conversations with regards to the approach how to take the mindset. Do you have a course or a class in which you teach the psychology of teaching women and then the techniques of, of it? Or how would people find out more about, you know, being more relatable to, because, you know, honestly, there are a lot, most of the self-defense classes are taught by men. And so how can we- how, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll let you say that. Right? I can say that. Right? But it's true, and so and and so a lot. If it's a numbers thing, and if you look at like the honesty, is that most women's self defense classes are taught by men. Mm-hmm. How can how can the men better learn to equip their students and their clients that are are attending that? What are some pieces of advice and suggestions that you could give to them so that they could provide a better service? There are a few things I would say. Uh, One of the things um, that I would say is it is important to find out from a woman walking into your school on the rare occasions (laughs) that they would walk in um, to find out if there is something happening in their lives, if there is any trauma 
you got to really find out if there's any trauma and what kind of triggers. You have to start tailoring. Though you have a classroom setting, you really have to do trauma-informed training. So, for example, uh, I didn't say when I came into Bjarni's Jitsu that I had domestic, domestic violence trauma. And one of our shihans choked me. And it was a trigger. And he lifted me up off the floor and my feet dangled because he's like six some odd, maybe about six three, approaching six four, something like that. And 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 it triggered me. And it triggered me. Though I knew he didn't mean me any harm, he still triggered my trauma. And, and it made me acutely aware of people have triggers and they have traumas. And I learned from that, what I call the swell, if you will. I learned my weapons, I learned mindset, I learned formalities, but what I learned in that instance is that I felt his power. And that's what I call the swell. And it made my spine shrink and it made me feel small. And that would cause you to not use all that you've learned because of the swell. And so training, skipping for a moment, training in Vyarni's Jiu-Jitsu, I learned that in any confrontation, I'm going to experience the swell, particularly if it's a stronger individual. And that I have to learn how to fight through the swell. Like, yeah, you're getting powerful, but so am I, you see? And, and these are things that you have to teach women because when women feel the swell, they grab a woman in class and they, right? You could have hit a trigger. Yeah. And when they don't come back, it's probably because you hit a trigger, mm. right? So I would say uh, to my warrior brothers and instructors, do entertain finding out if the women who come to your class have traumas or triggers that they should avoid. Um, I would also caution my, my um, brother warriors to understand, yes, it's your class, but do seek input. Do seek input because women retain full rights over their bodies, even though they're in your class, and that they don't check that at the door. So a better approach would be, 
would you mind if I demonstrate thus and so on you? Or I would like to demonstrate thus and so, would you mind if I, and, and they may pass. Like, no, mm, don't question why she passed, right? Could be something old that haunts her. And so women in some cases have to transition emotionally and psychologically, if they were brave enough to come in, you can help, you know, bridge that uh, uh, that gap between, you know, a really bad place because some women come uh, post trauma to train. Some women have never been traumatized and come to train, and there is a difference. Yes, there is a difference when you're training someone who has no bearing in reality about having uh, experienced trauma and pain and abuse. That's a lot different than a woman who thinks, yeah, I just thought it would be a great idea. You know, my nervousness with Professor Duncan. Yeah. You understand? Came from but I didn't understand trauma at that time. And so, so because he was, uh, he asked probing questions um, because he made sure I was psychological, psychologically and emotionally comfortable, you know, as we proceeded, um, I would say that it's important for women to feel safe to uh, feel like you are concerned about my well-being. And we had, um, even with me as an instructor, we had a woman come to our class who uh, was, who had experienced domestic violence. And I'm trying to remember with all that we knew and understood, as slow as we went, one night she had a panic attack and we almost literally had to call an ambulance mm. for her. You know, her respiratory effect, she, you know, she began sweating profusely and it was like, oh my goodness, like her trauma kicked in so hard. You understand? And, um, and I want to think it was uh, we were training in a melee uh, situation and she became surrounded. And, and it just and it made her really uh, flash back to, you know, a time that that hurt her. You see, so I would say to instructors, find out, have a good sit down. You know, as opposed to her understanding how this place works, yeah. try to find out how she works. You understand? Try to find out what does she need. And that will give you a really great uh, discussion. Allow her to maintain autonomy over her body. Don't just grab her. You know, if you see a woman doing things like that when you're moving your hands, all of that, you should be able to, to read that as one of your cues that you're moving a little too fast. 
with her. Um, women need to see other women leading at your school, at your seminar. It gives them something to aspire to. It gives them a greater opportunity to feel that they'll be understood if they speak to the woman instructor. When I first um, uh, started training in um, Viennese Jiu-Jitsu, they had white uniforms. I cannot begin to tell you the anxiety of having a menstrual cycle no. and wearing a white uniform where we're going down to the floor and we're doing judo and, you know, just defenses from the ground. And it was like, oh, my God. The possibility, you know, of my uniform becoming stained. Those mm -hmm. are not things you think about as a male instructor. If I humbly say, uh, Professor, please, may I skip that part tonight? You know, some teachers are like, you know, everybody. I'm asking for a reason. Yeah. You understand? So there are perspectives that women bring uh, to training. And I think, I think uh, when women see women empowered, when, um, when men don't use a, a, a pedagogical approach, because adults come to the table in life with experience and you can't talk to women like their children or any adult uh, for that matter, if you will. You know, you have to speak to adults differently. But because people teach children martial arts, they think that transfers uh, to teaching adults and it's, it really doesn't. It's really offensive. It's really offensive. Absolutely. Because um, we don't always bridge that, that, that chasm, even though it's the same subject matter, the, the approach yes. is, is, is different. Um, and women have told me people, I mean, uh, women have come to me to say um, that they were inspired to see me in front of the class. And guess what? My warrior brothers need to see me and have a seat. And let's go over what Sensei has to share with you tonight. You understand? So there are a lot of men folk who have never sat at the feet of a woman instructor. And that's good for everyone. That's good for the student. That's good for the public who's watching that, right? It's good for the women folk who are, are observing that because our warrior brothers have to come along too, you see? And much of the, um, the change in the martial arts is gonna come from our warrior brothers saying, you know what, we can do better. It's not gonna be the women pushing their way through. It's gonna be that our warrior brother says, yeah, we need to do that. So I, I, I congratulate warrior brothers who get that. You could just as easily leave your system to a woman as you can a man. 
to understand that every woman in your class is a legacy holder. Women are more than just consumers in the martial arts. And um, one great example I saw when I came to the super show uh, in Vegas, I saw women architects behind the show. They were running the logistics. They were managing, handling the program, the setup, the breakdown. I was like, yeah, martial arts of the future is looking really good. They've got this going really well. And, and uh, on the floor, I looked at all of the people who flocked to Sister Grand, Sister Grand Master of Rothrock, Cynthia Rothrock's um, demonstration. And I watched how everyone flocked to uh, Sister Chris Cyborg. And she did her presentation and everyone was flocking to it. And, and I walked out, you know, to do some groundwork, you know, as Lady Sensei and and I looked around and it wasn't just a bunch of women. My warrior brothers came to support uh, my seminar. So that, you know, I, I, I think we're, we're headed in the right direction. And, um, and I think, I think uh, magazines like uh, Black Belt and Organizations like uh, the Women's Network, uh, the Urban Action Showcase and the Expo in New York, uh, the Martial Arts Metaverse. There are media, um, there's media that understands that seeing us, our images, our stories, the platforms that are provided um, because little girls should grow up knowing they can save the world too, as she rose, right? We grow up watching Superman and Captain Marvel and all those people, but little girls should know that they too can save the world. I love that. I love that. I want to, Sister Jerry, I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your insight and wisdom and philosophy and your story. I know it's motivated me. I'm going to ask you, when's your book coming out? <laughs> you know, I have been asked that all of my life, Brother Sifu. And, and I really don't know where to start, to tell you the truth. But I am working on doing work with my videos, with my training videos and uh, being with the great teacher and coming along in the martial arts and prayerfully it will inspire others, male and female. It's a great place for everyone to learn, but I am certainly an activist and an advocate for women to come into the martial arts. And, and it's a wonderful place because it is, it is the self-study. It is learning the power of your mind. 
I remember when I first started, I used to feel that I wish, because my spine was shrunk, and I would say, I wish no one will bother me, but that's just not the world we live in. And then I started getting a little confident, and I say, yeah, I'm starting to get this thing here. Yeah, I wish somebody would, in fact. And then it became, I really wish you wouldn't. In fact, I'm going to run away. But Professor Duncan said you run with confidence. But if I can't reason with you to run away, and now I feel calm, and I don't feel nervous anymore, and I don't feel like the world will take advantage of me, and I want other women to feel that, you know, we don't, um, we don't have enough outlets as women in the martial arts. So we're gender inclusive. You know, we appreciate our brother warriors who support women in the arts. Uh, your politics are not important to us. You know, how you vote, your, your orientation, all of those things. I don't, want any woman to be violated, no matter where she is in this world, no matter what her faith is. The martial arts are good for us for so many reasons, like you said, the lifestyle. So thank you for allowing me this privilege and this platform to talk with you about uh, a woman in the martial arts and women in the martial arts. No, it was beautiful to listen to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I have I have one final question I like to ask all my guests uh, before yes. they leave is, uh, you know, we are the Black Belt Podcast. And um, I would like to ask you, Sister Jerry, what does a Black Belt mean to you? Uh, I think for me, the black belt meant that now I'm ready to take instruction. Mm-hmm. My, my black belt was to set up my classroom in my spirit, in my heart, and, and also for me to learn my basics so that while you taught me, I won't get hurt because I've learned my basics. And, um, and that, that, that threshold, uh, like now I get to sit at the table with the adults is the way I remember feeling, is that now I get to listen, you know, like to the, 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 the things that I was being prepared for. And I liken it from K to 12, you can't go to college without your basics of K through 12. You see, you can't start in college. And so I just felt like now I'm getting ready to learn. That's what it meant to me, getting to Black Belt. And I was so anxious and so excited. I couldn't wait. Like, yeah, this is gonna be great. That's what I remember feeling. 
That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to spending more time with you and getting to know you better. And I hope everybody else enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I thank you so much, Brother Sifu, and blessings to you and yours and Happy New Year. And thank you for having me on. It's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Martial arts is the greatest vehicle to discover human potential. My friends, follow, like, subscribe, and share this message with the world. The Black Belt Podcast can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all major broadcasting outlets. I'm your host, Harinder Singh. And always remember, wherever you go, everyone's a little bit safer. Wherever you are, anyone in need has a friend. And when you come home, they're happy to see you. It's a good life. <laughs>